1: All right. Well, welcome everybody to episode number five of Taking Stock. This is a hobby content collaboration between the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel and the Sports Card Dad YouTube network. It is Tuesday night, June the twentieth, two thousand twenty-three. That handsome fellow right there is Dennis Ender. My name is Jeremy Lee. Welcome everybody to the show. I'd like to thank everybody for all of your engagement, interaction in the chat last week. When we talked about shill bidding here on Taking Stock, that was episode number four. You can see that on the YouTube channel. Sports Cards Live, Sports Card Dad, it is residing on both of them. If you're not yet subscribed to either channel, please take a moment and do so. Also, we would like to announce that Taking Stock is going to be a bi-weekly show every second Tuesday, starting today. It'll be every second Tuesday from here, so keep that in mind. Won't be every single Tuesday, every second Tuesday. As always, everybody, as always, your comments, your questions are in play. We are here tonight talking about leveraging sports cards. It's been a hot topic lately. Dennis covered it on an episode he did recently. We'll get into that a little bit later. But Dennis, I'm going to start off by asking you and asking the chat as well. Dennis, have you ever borrowed money against a card have you ever lent money against a card, and have you ever considered doing either? Um, no, no, I,
0: I've never done that, Jeremy. I, I I've, I've definitely borrowed against a credit card to purchase a card, and, and and then paid for and paid down that card, or paid off that card, or you know contributed to that card with a sale of one of my cards. But I've never actually leveraged my card as collateral. I've never had any card in a vault. I like having my cards in my hands. Um, Yeah, I just it feels very out of place for me. And as a lender, as a banker, um, someone who evaluates credit risk uh, for a living or, you know, overseas that manages that, um, it just it just goes against every fiber of my being to to collateralize a card uh, to buy another card.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I myself, Dennis and chat, I've never borrowed money against a card. I've never thought about it actually, and I've I've heard some cases for it recently that seem to make more sense than I've ever thought. And I'm not; it's not something that I'm going to do. But I don't think I'm going to do it. But I can see why some people do, and I think it just depends on your overall financial situation, uh, your risk tolerance, uh, your your horizon. There's all sorts of reasons why somebody might borrow money. Against a sports card, for example, Dennis, what if you have nothing else? What if you have a a poor credit rating? What if you're one of what if you're card rich but cash poor? And all the only way that you can access some liquid cash is to collateralize a sports card. Is that in your mind? And I want to really tap into your banker mentality here because you may you're analyzing credit risk for clients on a regular basis. And if you can't advance them credit, and they need it for something, whether it's to buy other cards or to pay rent, would you think that for somebody like that to collateralize a sports card that it might make sense?
0: Well, I think when it looks when you look at so I'm will let, let me specify I'm not in credit I'm not a, an underwriter or any, any I'm not in the credit field I actually over, I'm, in, I'm in sales, um, so I oversee sales f- folks and sales and bankers and managers and producers and commercial bankers. And then, but that we have to have a relationship with credit. And I have to sign off on stuff and I have a pen limit that goes up to a certain amount on loans. And so when I look at those, two, those types of situations, if I have to get behind a deal, let's say, um, you're going to want to look at the credit quality of the, the borrower, right? That's the first thing you'd look at. So if you're thinking about a, borrowing against a card, um, you're going to look, okay, wh- where's the credit quality? I mean, there's no credit quality. You're, your, the credit quality doesn't matter because the person you're evaluating the collateral is a card, right? So the card becomes the collateral and the card itself, now you evaluate that, that's the other piece. Well, cards don't really maintain, cards are so volatile and they're, I'll be honest, they've been around for a long time, but the recent uptick, the bubble, the the burst of value from 2019 till, you know, and then kind of coming down that middle finger we talk about, you know, if I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm probably nervous about the kind of uh, money I'd want to lend against a card because I think like the the loan to value is going to have to be really low because the you know the the exposure you're going to have giving someone more money where you know they're going to go use that money to go buy another card to me seems I just feel like you're just basically digging a deeper hole because now you have to use that money wisely to buy the other card so it, it almost what what matters is if you're lending money to somebody and it's based off of a card to collateralize, to go buy another card, now you have to think about, well, what card are you buying? So then as a credit, if you put your credit hat on, you're going, okay, what card are you going to buy? You almost have to underwrite both purchase, the the borrow and the purchase. So it gets really convoluted if you start thinking about it from that perspective. I just, from just a normal layman's term or layman's point of view, I would be nervous trying to lean into like actual value of, a, of the value of a card right now, seeing how everything has gone down so much, even bigger cards.
1: Yeah, uh, so interesting comments there and uh, appreciate you kind of contextualizing your professional experience. Uh, you know, the way I look at, at all that is if I'm gonna lend money against a card, as you said, low loan to value ratio. If the card is worth $100, I'm gonna wanna protect my lent money by loaning out, say 40%, I think that's kind of, I have a feeling that's what some of the lenders in the space are doing or have done on a loan to value. But then it comes down to what's the value? Who's assessing the value? Is the value being assessed by the the lender? Obviously it is. The lender's gonna say, here's what your card is worth, what we think it's worth, and how close to the actual current fair market value are they gonna come? If it's gonna be actual based on some recent comps on a, on a liquid commodity type card, then 40% I think is pretty safe for them. At that point, now I have your card worth $100. I've given you 40 If you default on your payments, that's kind of good for me as the lender because now I'm going to have this card worth 100 that I'm into for 40 minus selling fees and all the other transactional costs that are involved with setting up the loan in the first place. So that to me is a pretty good deal for the lender. For the borrower, you really to me have to be in a cash crunch in order to use that. You know, and actually I'm gonna to go to comment here. Cage makes a good comment right here. He says, most companies operate on debt. Like most to not most to all companies have debt on their balance sheet. It's it's just common, right? He says, so it doesn't seem odd for the investor segment of the hobby to operate on debt. I see, and they can service their loan. And and for the mo I shouldn't say they, we assume they can service their loan when because he uses the term investor segment. And I think that almost connotes some some borrowers that have the ability to service their debt. Now, whether yeah, or not that's true, yeah, because, the,
0: because there's a debt service, like when you're underwriting a commercial loan or an operating line of credit that you have to pay back, there's a debt service number that you arrive at to show whether or not you can service the debt and and do it. And you have to have, there's a, I mean, a business operates on debt very differently than it just, than, than Dennis, who just wants to buy that really cool Ken Griffey Jr. car. And I'm going to leverage this card over here to go buy it. But boy, I, for me, from my perspective, I'm now I'm, I'm leveraging. I don't own that card anymore. PWCC owns it or alt owns it or whoever else. Now I don't own that card. Just like as much as I don't own the house I'm living in, technically, I don't own the car I'm driving technically. So it kind of, cards are kind of neat because you can, you can eliminate that piece and go, I'm going to own them. Yes. If you have credit card debt, I suppose you, then you you still don't own them technically. Um, But I don't know. I like, it gets tricky though, because in even my situation, I'm using cards that I bought and consolidating them to buy some of these cards. So technically I'm just basically, you know, spinning negative equity into dipos- trying to spin it into positive equity. This can get really convoluted, but I'll back that. I'll back out of that a little bit as I digress. But I, yeah,
1: I think companies operate very differently than
0: just maybe an investor.
1: Um, oh, for then- sure. Because co- companies also have ongoing revenues. They they have other right. things going on. If you're just borrowing against a card, that's a, that's a silo. That's a vacuum. That's in a vacuum. It's it's all it is right there, unless you're lending, unless you're borrowing against several cards. This is totally, it's a, It is a completely different thing, but I don't think that, I think Cage's point was that people with the mentality who carry, who manage companies, shareholders of companies that operate on debt to run their daily business because they need it because there's cash flow is cyclical in, in, in many companies too. I think it's a mindset thing he's getting at versus uh well, it works in companies that should work in sports cards just to, right that's that all sense. I think he said, let's go yeah. to a couple of comments. So Dennis, we've got some, first of all, Joe Barrett came in, uh, before we went live, uh, Joe, we're not discussing Barry bonds cards today or scarcity of, of, uh, or, or market control. However, I do like the topic of, and Dennis and I talked about, we like the topic of controlling a market based on hoarding for a separate, uh, a, a different episode of the show. E.L., Good evening to you, Joey O'Hearn. Good to see you back for a live. Thank you for joining. Philly Joe says, bring it like last week. Yeah, last week was a lot of fun. And thanks again to everybody who joined us last week on the show. Cage says, Dennis owes me money. He's just kidding around. Uh, we got Brent, who was uh, my guest on Sports Cards Live this past Saturday, just, a, what, three days ago. Deep Value Investors, as leverage comes out, we can have price discovery once a big-time collector or 2 or to stop borrowing to buy cards for a specific player, true values will be known. I'm not sure that I'm putting that whole comment together yeah. right now. Can you, Dennis? Uh, yeah, you know, me? Jeremy.
0: Yeah, Jeremy, I was kind of like, I was looking at that earlier. and I'm just guessing, and Brent, chime in, if you don't think we're getting this right, but um, <clears throat> I think what he's saying is you're a couple big players in the market, if they stop, you know, leveraging cards they have to buy new cards of, of particular players, we're going to find out what the true value of that the market for that particular player is especially in the higher end cards that is that could be true i don't know how many people are borrowing against their cards to um to buy cards i i i am i'm not i'm not mistaken pwcc i think they recalled their loans i'm not sure i don't have that data for sure i don't know have the uh, specifics there but i don't know it's hard for me to think there's that many people leveraging their cards to buy new cards especially based on the, the comments and all the com- DMs I got after the last episode with my buddy, Joey. It seems like most people aren't doing that. So I'm not sure if that would actually be the case.
1: Well, PWCC must have uh, extended several loans. Alt has recently entered the space. You had uh, investicard uh, Eddie, the the We Are Live uh, guy who uh, was who was doing that uh, quite a bit. He had Marcus lamonas as an investor in that business. So I think there's a business model there. I just don't know that, that anyone has either done it right yet or when they've done it they've done it in what was first a bull market that turned into a bear market and they they got hurt so the time timing is everything and that's why loan to value is so loan to value ratio is so important um 90s hockey collector good evening to you stooks in the house loud collector in the house uh philly joe says i'm very adverse to using credit especially credit cards however never say never and Sometimes credit becomes necessary. Uh, Mike Petty says, I was always taught to operate my business with cash. I guess I'm stupid having zero debt. You said that, uh, Mike Petty, not us. Uh, I guess I'm stupid having zero debt in my business and my life. I must be doing something wrong. No, I don't think you're doing something wrong. I think you're operating a small business. Like If you are a sole proprietor and your business, you're a plumber, you're an electrician, you're buying and selling sports cards, uh, you're a caterer, there's all sorts of small companies that don't need debt. Cause you're running efficiently. You don't, You and you're also not growing debt is often used in growth stages. It's you, if you're not, there's, if you're not going to grow by, by issuing equity to investors to get money to grow and you can't sell fund, your only other option is debt. So if right. you're not, it just tells Mike Petty, it just tells me you're probably not, you're probably not running a business that is growing is, Probably why now, unless it is growing and you're just really successful and you have a ton of revenue and you're self-funding your growth, then congrats to you, man. Um, You're doing it right. Uh, Ziggy says, great conversation. It's like providing a home equity line of credit to an igloo owner in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, that's an extreme comment uh, to describe what's happening, but that is pretty accurate If you're looking at how the market has gone over the last couple of years, we said earlier, if you are lending money on a sports card that's worth $100 at a 40% loan-to-value ratio, so you're going to lend $40 on that $100 asset, and then the, the market comes down like we've seen by, say, 80%, now your collateral is only worth 20 bucks. Your borrower is going to say, well, why am I going to pay off my loan when I'm already, it's already, I don't want my card back. It's not worth, it's not worth it anymore. It's right. like I sold you a $20 card for 40 bucks. I'm out.
0: Right? So. Right. It's much, much easier to walk away from a card than your house. So yeah, you got to keep that in mind. And, and to, to, to Tom Petty's point, it sounds like he's in a mature business that's not trying to scale, like you said, to try to grow. So yeah, being cashier, there's a produce company over in Washington state and they're very successful and they don't, they don't use debt. They don't use debt at all. They
1: operate all with cash, but man, they they also are limited in what they can do. So yeah. B Mac joining the show, opening up some cards. Good to see you. Welcome. Childhood greats says companies also get the benefit of offsetting interest and depreciation of that asset against its income per tax law. An individual leveraging a card doesn't get those benefits. Well, you should get those benefits on the on the if you're running your bit your card business through a registered entity like an LLC or some sort of corporation, then you're you're going to get all those business deductions that any other company would get. But Childhood grades does say companies also get. Now, I don't know how tax law r- works. I used to practice some U.S. tax law, but I don't, it was, that was over 15 years ago. I don't remember how it works as far as if you are a sole proprietor and what sort of business deductions are you going to get uh, in a sports card business. So um, true what what Childhood greats is saying, but I think there are ways to to get some of those benefits as well in the card hobby. B uh, BMAC, yeah, your wish I kept all my sealed stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. We have a Facebook user here says just tuned in. Wanted to state that Alt has been doing loans for a couple of years now. Think it's just something that individuals are just now seeing it more. Yeah, fair, fair for sure. Uh, Ziggy says maybe these guys were actually short selling cards to PWCC, grabbing cash for cards. Yeah, I mean maybe, maybe uh, that that would, there there's a lot of risk in doing that though. So I think you'd have to have uh, you'd have to have some uh, I don't know a set of steel to be to be doing that. And uh, Spectre Fitness, there's no business for leveraging cards. These businesses are trying to act like cards are a stock market. People need to face reality. Sports cards are illiquid. If you need cash, it's tough selling. I, I mean, we, we, we hear comments a lot in the hobby how how it's sports cards aren't liquid. I'll tell you what. I can I see people turning cards into cash in 24 hours. Is that not liquid? Like what is, I think what is, I would say. I, I, I like I, I agree with
0: 50 percent of his comment. Yeah. There's no business for leveraging cards. I agree with them. These businesses are trying to act like cards are the stock market. I agree with that. I've never really felt like the cards are the stock market. There are certain cards I feel like sort of rise above the rest, like the 52 mantle. If you hold a 52 mantle, Cage, I know you hold one of those. If you hold a 52 mantle, yes, it's harder to walk away from a card like that. Or, you know, I mean, t- name some of these cards that are just massive. Um, it's harder to walk away from some of those cards. There's just a handful of them and those cards I I believe can act like fine art. They could act like a, you know, a, an, an alternative asset, but most of them, most of them don't. Um, so I, I, yeah, I would, I would be nervous about that. So Joey's in the, the live. So yeah, we got Joey live in the, in the, in the comments there. So you fire your questions at Joey, he's there, but anyway, so, yeah, that's, that's what I believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, the hobby sports cards are certainly not stocks. I mean, that's, that's just, that's like, that's like saying corn, corn on the cob is, is not a car. Like, of course it isn't. It's there, there are, they are different, but that doesn't mean that they're not, we've, we've done the investment episode already. Sports cards, we know can be an investment. It just depends how you're approaching it yourself. It's really up to, up to each individual. Uh, But here, another comedy says they aren't liquid instantly. It takes time to sell. What I want to sell is what I want to say. People are, offer cards, pay 75%. Yeah, but 75% is still liquid and you can put a story post up on Instagram and have cash in 24 hours from somebody. You can consign cards to PWCC or you can sell cards on eBay. You can set up at a card show. If a card, if you're every week and have a card, you can have, you can convert your cards to cash within a week if you're going to card shows. Cards are, cards are more liquid than I think people want to say. I don't know why there's this big narrative that cards are not liquid. It just depends how you're selling them. Even, you know, if you're consigning them to an auction company, it's going to take a little bit longer to get paid out. That's for sure. So it's sure, not exactly. as fast as the, it's not as fast as flipping as a stock on, on the stock on your, on your account, on your digital account, but it's definitely uh definitely possible. Uh, Joey says leveraging 100% should be in. I don't know who's going to lend you hundred percent, but, uh, but okay. Okay, Joey. But and we do know from your, ep- your collector series episode that Joey was, and did borrow? My, I think I listened to the episode, Dennis, and it seemed to me like he worked with all three of these. He worked with Investicard. I think he worked with PWCC and Alt, or he looked into Alt. So, if anyone does have questions on it, fire some at Joey Peapod here in the chat or on uh, on Instagram. He's on Instagram as well. Uh, BMAX says prices fell ridiculously, but still a lot of value out there. Just not crazy. Like the, that's the thing. Like right now might be, is probably a way better time to be a lender against cards than two years ago because cards have come down so much. It's like, can they keep coming down? Of course. But I think we've experienced the majority of their decline in value over the last couple of years, but tough to say. I can't, can't guarantee that, uh, as well. Keeping going through the comments here, Dennis, but go ahead.
0: I was gonna say um, this all. Okay, so you talk about leveraging cards, but it also brings up the fractional. Brian Smith has a comment here. Has anyone bought fractional ownership of cards? What is the status of those companies? I don't know. I don't. I'm not gonna speak to the status of companies, but you do bring up a very interesting point about fractional ownership. When you talk about leveraging cards and how you can own cards, it is it's different, but it does sort of bring up that mindset of like, okay, was fraction fractionality of a card? I feel like, again, it's it's just a specific card. You're not going to want to own a fraction of a card if you're a collector anyway. I think if, that's a purely an, an investment um, play. But I only think there's only certain cards that you can do that with anyway. So that kind of almost played itself out. I think there's going to be some trial and error stuff. But I'm actually wondering, have we seen the bottom? Do we feel like we're in the bottom? Is there going to be more of a correction than we've already seen? I mean... Because okay, I'll you know, geek out on but the Fed basically two of the, the two things the Fed really wanted to accomplish with what they've been doing is to soften um to uh you, to, to ease inflation, right? And the cost of things. We wanted to ease that down, and they wanted to keep employment strong. Well, employment's still strong, so there's the unemployment is in, in the east in the United States is actually really strong. It's probably stronger than we think, with people taking second jobs working remote. It's probably stronger than we think, and then the other piece of that is, okay, so things are still costing more money. So that hasn't happened yet because things are costing more money. And because we still have employment, that's pretty strong. Do we, I mean, does it feel like we've accepted what things are and we know that they're not going to keep raising interest rates, at least for a little while now, do we, do we see, do we see a correction happening? Do we see that the correction ending? That's something I was thinking about today when I went to, went to an economic um, forecast launch today. And, that's something that was in my on my mind. I was thinking, okay, are we at the end now, based
1: on these things? And I mean, that's the thing. Who who knows? And uh, I would never say we are at the end because I don't I don't time markets very well, nor can I predict it. I don't think any of us really can. But you have a lot of people have their feelings. They're going on their gut. They're going on experience. A lot of people have been through a lot of cycles over time, so it's tough to say. Uh, my thoughts um, in terms of fractional. What is the status of those companies? Um, I know that collectible who I used to do a show for is I shouldn't say, I know, I'm not sure. I think they're done, but I don't really know for sure. I know all their, all of their principal, uh, people are no longer there, but they still are, a, 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 an, a they still exist as a legal entity. Um, the, so that I believe is the status. They're still rally, but rally is diversified into more than just sports cards. So I think they, they have the, uh, you know, the, a better chance to survive and, um, but yeah, I think the timing was wrong for that. It didn't work out. And then, of course, the market turned and that wasn't good for a lot of companies in the space, including the fractionals. Uh, Ziggy says, if we agree cards are bad to leverage for loans, can we start to see? Did, did I just have that one up there? It feels like that's the same one. Let's keep on going. Jeff Hart, cards are liquid, but you may not get 100% of what you want if selling needs to happen immediately. Yeah, this is true. It, it's a true. It's true. But still, and Jeff, Jeff isn't saying this, but it's important. They are still liquid. Even though you're not going to get what you want, that doesn't mean they're not liquid. They're still liquid. They're just not liquid to the amount that you want. Cage says corn powers cars, though. Most, <laughs> yeah, Cage. I don't know. I, I, we had corn and the did, and that's why it came it came to mind tonight as I was trying to come up with an analogy quickly on the spot. <laughs> so here's a here's a hot take. Yeah. Joey Peapod says cards are like stocks, 100%. If you are buying the right stuff. So, I mean, I, yeah. in Joey's mind, maybe the way Joey approaches stocks is how he approaches cards, but I don't think they are 100% like stocks. Maybe they're a percentage and maybe it's a high one, but they're not 100% like stocks. There's a ton of differences uh, between the two. So, I, Joey, I mean, I appreciate the comment, but I just think you're, I don't think it's accurate. I think they're similar in some ways, but certainly not 100%. And maybe that's what the word like is. It, maybe. You use the word like, so maybe you don't mean that the way I'm I'm interpreting it. Joe Barrett says it would be more liquid if fees were lower. Again, that doesn't impact the liquidity. That just impacts your return. That just impacts your your revenue, your sales price. It doesn't impact the liquidity. It actually, because there are companies out there that take fees, that increases the liquidity. If they weren't companies in business to earn fees, and they wouldn't be if there were no fees to be earned, then it would be less liquid because you'd have less, fewer options to sell your cards. Think about going to a card show. At a card show, you're paying a fee to be there. You're paying the promoter. Fewer card shows, less liquidity. So I, I, I disagree with the comment, Joe, but I think I just don't think you you mean it the way you stated it. But maybe you did, and, and then we disagree. A loud collector says cards are very liquid depending on your price point and loss, cost, fallacy, temperance. Throwing out some psychological terminology here that I'm not familiar with that fallacy, but I think that makes sense to me from Loud Collector. Mm -hmm. And then here's a really important question from Ziggy No says, uh, Joey, would you do it again? If you had $100,000, would you buy collections or loan cash to card buyers and play the house position? Well, I'll tell you what, Ziggy, from listening to Joey on Dennis's show, he would not play the house position because he also plays blackjack for a living is what I took from that episode, Dennis. And, and if you're playing blackjack for a living, you're playing against the house that always wins. So I don't think he would take the house position. Uh, Dennis, do you have any insight into that?
0: Yeah, no, I I think uh, Joey's very confident in what he does and he's been doing it for a long time. I mean, I think there's, you know, I'm very conservative. I would never do that, but he's, he's, he's more of a risk taker than I am. And I think he actually has, you know, he's been doing it for a while. So, I mean, he somehow is staying where he's at. So, I I mean, it's good. It's good for him. If that's comfortable for him, beach their own. Um, But what I took away from that was, you know, he, he was able to, there's, there's a bunch of things that happened there. So he, he basically answered the call that, you know, cards can be liquid because he sold all his cards, but just like that one comment, he didn't get 100% of what he wanted on a lot of them, but he still made money on a ton of them because he got in so low. So he, he wasn't hurt as bad as everybody probably thought he was. He's fine. Um, it's just how he puts back together a collection. I mean, it all depends on how you do it. Guys like me, I'm going to go try to buy the nice card from somebody like Joey. I'm going to try to buy the nice card from one of you folks in the live that has a really good card and a high grade that I desire. Um, where maybe Joey will go buy it, uh, buy a raw copy or somehow find a raw copy because he knows a lot of folks within the certain, you know, player collecting community obtain that card. And then grade it, and get the grade. You know, be able to 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 find the card, a, a good looking card. Then grade it, get the grade you want. That becomes now a valuable card to, to to maneuver. And so, I think his the way he does things is very different. He can get on on the comment section here and and uh, elaborate further. But that's what I take away from all my conversations with Joey. Is he understands the market. He knows what to go buy and how to do and how to grade. He's been doing it for a while. He's been doing this since like 2010. I mean, I've been doing. I've been in the hobby, you know, as a novice. Like I keep saying, which is 2019. So I really, you know, I, I listen to people like that. And you can take you can take nuggets of advice from everybody. You don't have to agree with everything they do. You don't have to do all the same things. It's just it's great to learn from different people. I think Joey has got a ton of uh, expertise in the hobby in the space. He knows cards. He definitely knows the Griffey market inside and out. And uh, yeah, and That's the. All
1: the Griffey would be a Pareto player. Now I did receive a comment yeah. on, on the yeah. episode I did with, with uh, Brent wire, the deep value investor last week, which is, it's not where someone said we're saying it wrong. It's not Pareto. It's Pareto. Pareto. Said, Thanks okay. for clarifying, but I think I'm going to sit with Pareto. I just, it's uh it rhymes with burrito and it's just more fun. So, and if, uh, if, the, the, if the, whoever came, if Mr. Pareto. Or Mrs. Pareto, who came up with the, the principle is no longer with us, which I think is a fair assumption, then uh, they don't know the difference anyway. Uh, We have we have Rob Gerard, the sports card therapist in the house. Rob, good to see you. As always, Spectre Fitness says, I think it's a good time for selective buying of highly sought after cards for goats and young superstars of the future. So I think that's a fair position to take. I think that's a a, a, I'm not going to argue with you if that's what you want to do. And I think a lot of people do that. But when we talk about young superstars of the future, we don't know what the future holds. And when it comes back to le- leveraging, borrowing, lending money against cards, when you are when you are lending money against a player who is still active, who has a lot of built-in value, like value built in uh, based on not yet won championships, not yet awarded MVPs, uh, these sorts of things, not yet broken records that that people think are going to be broken, and then those things don't happen in the near term. We see values come down. We've learned that really quickly. So, and you can still be a goat, and your values can still come down. Look at look at LeBron James. Look at Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl only helps for like a week until you win the Super Bowl, and then look at Patrick Mahomes. That that Patrick Mahomes would fit into what Spectre Fitness is saying here. If you lent money on Patrick Mahomes uh, at anything over fifty percent loan to value the week before he won his Super Bowl, uh, you're your loan is underwater now, and your your borrower is probably going to walk. So, uh, but that is talking about leverage, which is the topic of the show. As for Spectre Fitness's uh, buying buying strategy, I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one. But and as Brent Wire will tell you. Make sure you're buying the right cards because a lot of players have a lot of, all players have so many different cards right now. Not every card is going to be valuable. I don't, I'm not as extreme as Brent is where I think there will be more cards that hold value than he does. That's fine. We can, we can just move forward on that basis, but still the, the, the Pareto, the, the top 20% or top 1% of cards, whatever it is, um, just make sure you're buying ones that you, that, that you're comfortable. People will like moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, Ziggy here says most cards today will continue to decline as they fade in popularity, which is consistent with what Brent would say, but there will always be new records, new chase cards, new once in a lifetime rookies. The hobby is strong. Yeah, I can't really, uh, I can't really argue uh, too much with that. Most, the first word in most cards is is definitely true because you got to think there are, there's billions of cards printed every year. I heard somebody once said there hasn't been a billion cards made in history. It's like, how many cards did Pokemon make last year? Like six billion themselves. So, but he's right. Most cards will just be not valuable. Dennis.
0: I uh, yeah. I see. Childhood Greats has a great comment. So I, I know I, I'm really top of mind is all the, the economics of our our country. Anyway, I'm not sure how how it's looking in Canada for you, Jeremy. But right now we're still under four percent on our unemployment rate. And so that the re, the point I was trying to make is like okay. If unemployment rate is still low, that means people are still working, you're still earning. Inflation still high, but there's still been a tolerance to where, you know, we can still purchase these items to employ the workforce. It's common economics, right? So, but where do you get to that point where people start going, you know what? I love hanging out. Okay, like you and I talked earlier, right? I love hanging on to this card, but boy, I sure love the cash more. And I think some of the true collectors, like, not, so I'm not I shouldn't say true collectors. That's That sounds... Uh, elitist i'm not going to use that word we all know cage is the elitist in the group not not me um the, hanging on to cards um that you you can't get back meaning there's a card that you're like you know if i sell this card yeah i can get this cash but i'm i likely won't get it back because it's like a pop one or there's hardly any of them out there you, you know those are going to make you think long and hard but i think when people start making those types of decisions maybe they already have that now you get into you cross into this okay now stuff starts really dropping down and that's what i'm nervous about to be honest with you and why leveraging on car borrowing against cards to me seems so scary is that i don't think maybe we haven't seen the bottom yet and it's going to go down even further and it's going to make make a lot of these purchases that a lot of folks have been making including myself you know this you know the last couple quarters we feel like we're able to pick up some really strong cards for you know discounts but maybe they weren't really discounts maybe there's more of a correction still coming it's just that we got to we bought into believe that some of these cards were actually 2021 prices and they really aren't 2021 prices they're actually they've dipped now and they're becoming the price they should be and besides these mantles and some of these really big cards that will maintain and pretty much get through most cycles those particular cards, a lot of the ones we can afford and own, like Dustin would say, the ones that most of us can afford and buy and own are going to be depressed even further.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? We, we don't we don't know wh- where where the bottom will be we could go up, we could come back down. there's going to be cycles forever. So yeah, that's a, that's it's a tough thing to figure out. Uh, Deep value says stocks trade in the market and cards can trade in the market, even corn trades on a marketplace, yeah. Yeah, tip of the mitt. What in the world is going on here tonight, fellas? Good to see you, tip of the mitt. Rage, good to see you as always. Perk says, I think there is a higher level of freedom and enjoyment when you are not paying interest on your collection every month. Yeah, like no doubt, right? I I couldn't imagine paying interest on my on my collection, but that's the thing. Perk uses the word collection. And I think I think people unless you're really in, in financial trouble, and as we said earlier, you don't have good credit and it's hard to get a credit card or to borrow money, you can't get a home equity line of credit or just a credit line from your bank, you may have no choice. If you're card rich, cash poor, and credit poor, you may have no choice but to, you, to but to collateralize your cards. Now, the other case is where people are doing it, but they're not collections. They are simply inventory to these people. And that's where Perk, you, me, Dennis, a lot of the collectors in the room, we don't want to pay interest on in our collection, but we will pay interest on capital assets that we are using, or inventory that we are using to generate cash flow, it's a kind of a different way of looking at it and a different thing altogether. Yeah, some yeah. great comments, Dennis. We're going to go uh, awesome. keep on going. Okay, yeah. uh, the professor says teapot from Market Movers had a nice episode demonstrating that a card may be down from three years ago, but if you fought, if you bought five years ago, you are still up multi factorial, and that's that's the thing. Like, and we, this is this is a common thing in the hobby. If you if you can zoom out and say, listen, you know, if you got in in 2020, 2021, you're underwater. But but many people got in way before that and are up multi, multi. So, you know, example, I bought a card for I think forty eight hundred dollars in like twenty fifteen or sixteen. It went up to ninety K at the peak. Now sounds about forty five. I'm in for five grand. It's worth 45 today. That's a 900% return. I'm okay. Do I wish I sold it at the peak and rebought it now? Of course I do. But I wasn't in selling mode. And it's also tough to sell when you see things going up all the time. At least it is for me. Ziggy makes another comment right, right over here that relates to that. How many cash millionaires did the 2020 boom make? I think he's saying it tongue in cheek. Where are all the joeys? that know the hobby so well, sitting on stacks of cash. I hear so many talk about making money, but few make cold, hard cash. It's a good comment because I think it's true. Uh, I think it's true. A lot of people that held cards pre-pandemic saw those values go up, and now they've come down. Now they started here, they got up to here, and now they're down to about here. So there's still a, a delta there, a positive a positive delta, but again, this is unrealized. Those gains were unrealized. This gain is unrealized. If if they're now down here, if you bought in 2021 and your value's down here, it's an unrealized loss. If you have the stones to hold it for another, whatever that time period is going to be, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you might get back up here. And and you
0: and I are at different ends of the spectrum here, Jeremy, because you've been doing this for a lot longer. And so you have a lot of these cards that are worth quite a bit more than 900%. I have cards. I'm probably breaking even now. I think if I liquidated, even with all the really great cards, I feel like I have and I've moved, I've colored up to. I, I who knows with fees and taxes and what the demand is right now. If I had to sell right now, I, I bet you I, I probably lose money still. And that's the difference between you and I and where we where we sit. I'm not going anywhere and I love where I'm at and I'm not blaming anybody. No, I'm not a victim in, a, in any way, shape or form, but you know, I'm going to have to hold. I want to hold though. That's the thing though. I want to hold because I love the cards I have. I don't want to sell them. I love them. So, it, but if, okay, let's pretend I'm not in that situation. and I have to sell them. Well, that's going to hurt, you know? And I think that there's a lot of folks out there. Maybe this is a transitional opportunity and segueing into another other piece of our, our episode. This is a tremendous, this is an opportunity. This is a, how a lot of people I think are feeling. There's a lot of people like me that like we've talked about this in past episodes that are kind of feeling it a little bit. Right. And some of them are going, you know what? Like there's been some comments in here. My kids can't eat. My, can't, my kids can't eat cards. Right. Um, so they're making decisions. And I think that's affecting the market. And some people are like got hurt enough where they like they don't want to do it anymore. So but I I still feel like the market's pretty the, the hobby strong. I think there's a lot of people. um, that are very much into this, this whole space and they enjoy it. And, you know, they, 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 they're here, look at this live. This is great. So, but I think there's two different types of people that I think are, I, I believe that are in this hobby in this space right now. There's the people that have gotten in recently that might've been, they might've feeling, feeling a little bit. And there's the folks that were here before that are feeling pretty good, you know, and that is just kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah. I-
1: yeah, loving the, high- and I bought through the pandemic, and I'm down on some cards, and I'm up on yeah. cards from before the pandemic. I'm up on some cards that I bought that's during true. the pandemic, that's because true. True. I think I'm a savvy buyer, but you can't win them all. I I've, I've set records, I've set several records, and some of those I'm still up on, some of them probably not up on right now. And I and I also don't like to keep tabs on the values of all my cards because I want to enjoy the cards and not worry about the the value all the time. So, but that's a lot of people do. And I understand that too. David Thompson here says, everyone who sold in 2021 made the dough. No doubt. If you sold in 2021, especially the second half, you made the dough. Joe Barrett says, I'm just happy my wife hasn't left me over cards. Happy for you you too, Joe. Definitely. MMA Rookie Card says, victim mentality is strong in the chat. It's strong in the hobby. Let's let's be real there as well. MMA. Okay, I'm going to go back uh, to some earlier comments. Dennis, we've got a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Jeff McCombs, first of all, thank you. Welcome to the show. Cardi C, haven't seen you in a while, says leverage in and of itself isn't bad, but you need to make sure that your debt service payments aren't unmanageable and you have 100% confidence in your ability to outperform your interest rate. Cardi C is a CPA, smart guy, knows what he's talking about. Very good comment, I must say, because your ability to outperform your interest rate So well said. And if you can, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you would have that confidence uh, in this if you are borrowing against, if you're borrowing against your cards in order to buy more cards. I mean, you really have to, you really have to be confident. I don't know what else to say. I don't have advice on how to make that work. I don't have advice on what cards to buy that way because the market is volatile. Uh, Spectre follows up. I agree with you for sure. If I was in the leveraging business, you need to run a ton of numbers on players that have built-in value, lending against those are high risk. Yeah, like I would never lend against Luca, Tatum, Zion, Jaw. almost any active player, really, except maybe Steph, maybe LeBron today. But even that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Cage says, how much would I have to give every single person the hobby to never use the word Pareto again? Cage, send me a grand. I'll stop right now. I'll never use it again. I promise. thousand bucks. <laughs> send me PayPal. MMA, hello to you. Um, (laughs) Cardi C another comment problem with card lending is that you're borrowing against a collectible or a speculative asset. The risk requires lenders to charge such a high interest rate that there are likely better options. Well, I love the comment from Cardi C here, but there are going to be cases where there are not better options. There Mm -hmm. are people out there that might have a quarter million dollars worth of cards, but can't get a credit card. Can't get a home equity line of credit, maybe don't own a home, so they can't get a, a HELOC, they can't get a, a credit line, and that might be their only option. Thank, thank goodness for them, they have some cards. So they can actually use that. And if they but in that case, is it like the whole thing that um I've you know, especially uh Investor cards sales pitch was keep owning your cards, but get the cash. Like take cash out of your cards, don't sell them so that you still own your cards. Well. Okay, great. But you are paying the interest. You are you. you, And actually, some of the risk is transferring to the lender. But then I still say, why don't you just sell the card? And that's going to be what you're willing to do. I mean, I'm not going to tell you why. Like, why would you sell the card as if I'm assuming you should? Maybe you just love it so much you don't want to. And that's that's fair. But you got to manage your risk there. Dennis, anything on all that? Well, yeah, I think that, okay, so when I apply for a loan,
0: and you put down, you know, things that are of collateral, you know, I've got a, you know, a Shelby GT350R, and I own it outright, that goes down as collateral on my application, I put down I mean, the, the equity I have in, in my homes, they are, they have the collateral I have in those are, that's something that could be recognized in an in old a, in a loan application, like in the cash I have in the bank, a liquid, a stock, whatever it is. Or your life insurance and however much you're vested in it, those are those are all things that can be realized on and, and appreciated on a loan application when you're being underwritten as a as a borrower. My cards cannot be. I cannot put my my collection of sports cards in there. It, no one. I don't know anybody who recognizes that that's going to lend you money outside of some of these of these platforms within the hobby space. So when we want to start really understanding, uh, where we really want to start, if, if this if you want to be taken taken seriously, if you, if you want that. This whole space, that's not happening. So that's why I, I I struggle to call cards stocks. I struggle to call cards alternative assets. Even really, it's harder for me to do that when you can't get an underwriter to recognize the value you have in these cards. And they'll they'll say, well, they need to be appraised. Well, are they being appraised using card ladder or or market movers or one of these you know um, third party services that that can help you evaluate a card? Its price. I don't know. That that's where I don't know if that is, if that makes sense, if that ties in enough, but I just thought of that when I'm like, okay, when I put all that stuff down on an application, I don't recognize my cards. I don't put my cards down because I know they're not going to recognize them as value. They're not going to be
1: able to collateralize them if anything ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Chris says it was almost 30 years between booms. History tends to repeat itself. I certainly agree with that comment. I think that's very, very true Childhood greats tried to turn his collection into a, a collectible insurance policy with a cash flow stream, uh, but they wouldn't do it. I'm not surprised there. Facebook user says, when we talk about the ability to outperform our interest rates, are we no longer in a hobby? We are in a hobby. Uh, the hobby is part of an industry. I have a whole Instagram reel on this. Check it out. Uh, I'm not sure who this is, but um, if you don't, if, if like you have to realize everybody has to realize the hobby is not just a hobby. It's much more than a hobby. It's a business. It's an industry. It's always been a business since 1888. There's it's been profit driven. It's always been profit driven. So just kind of, you got, it's almost like, like, and I don't know who this is, so I'm sorry, but don't take this personally, but like grow up. It's not only a hobby. It's never only been a hobby. Now for some people, it's only a hobby, but, but you're, you're, you're putting your you're making it a hobby for yourself within an industry, a profit driven industry at many, many different levels. So um, I, I'm not saying to that person, grow up. I'm saying to everybody who makes a comment like that, like it's not a hobby anymore. It was always a hobby within an industry. Uh, LGC says liquidity is measured by how tight the bid and offer is such that it's very liquid to get arbitrage in a very liquid market. If you get 70% to get cash, that's purely an arbitrage market, not a liquid market. I guess we're just defining liquidity. To me, LGC liquidity is how how easy is it to convert your asset to cash, not at what rate. So maybe that's one definition of liquidity, but it is certainly not the only definition of liquidity. and And maybe that's where the disconnect I'm having is, because I'm talking about the ability to turn your cards into cash quickly, which is very easy. And you can get you, you can get 90% a lot of the time, depends who you're selling to. Depends if you're selling retail or wholesale or, oh or desperation, but there are lots of ways to get more money than 70% on your cards, I believe. You're laughing at something, Dennis. What were you laughing at?
0: Oh, nothing. <laughs> Uh, nothing. You, you, It's all good. I'm like, yeah. All
1: right. Let's keep on going. David Enjoy. Thompson, when you start borrowing to buy cards, you're asking for trouble unless it's a spectacular deal. I agree with that. Like if you're buying it, if you're buying a collection from somebody and you're paying whatever, anywhere between like at the low, like some collections you can, you can buy, if you're buying a million card collection, what do you think, what should you be paying? I'll tell you what, you shouldn't be paying 50% or more because you're going to spend thousands of hours on that. You should be buying that at like 35, 40%. I would think otherwise otherwise, it's not worth your time. What do you want to make? You want to make five, 10 bucks an hour? No, I don't think anybody here wants to make five, 10 bucks an hour. So you got to buy right. And I think that's what Dave Thompson is saying there um, a little bit, at least. Ken Summoner says, what are the rates these guys charge? I've never looked into it myself. I don't know what the rates are. Joe Barrett says lenders need to ensure they have adequate loan loss reserves. Yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Rage says when you're borrowing like Harry, the wig shop owner in Goodfellas to pay off all the debt in the neighborhood. So Joe Pesci doesn't come. It's a bad idea. I would think. I would think. Uh, Oh gosh. Okay. Now we're seeing some back and forth in the chat. We're just going to, I see that. I see what you're laughing at now. Dennis David Thompson says, I've been collecting since 1969 and sold about 50 cards. And now I wish I never sold, including a beautiful Ricky Gretzky. Yeah, we, we all have those stories, David Thompson. No doubt about it. No doubt. Ken Summoner would be cool to have pawn style setup where a higher loan to value can be given, but cuts off at 60 to 90 days so the person can keep the collateral. I'm sure that's happening out there. I I, I, I wonder, and I think from listening to Joey. On your show, Dennis Speak, I think he mentioned, I forget which service provider it was. I think he mentioned every 90 days he had to renew the loan. And that I found yeah. very interesting. I found that to be very safe for the lender. So I think yeah. that was a, probably a good strategy for the lender there. Yeah, I, I'm going to have Joey
0: back on. We're going to do a, a follow-up episode to everything because I feel he, he wants to clarify some things. and um, So we'll have, we'll have a follow-up to that. We've already been talking about that, so that'll happen. But I think... Um, <laughs> You know, we, we talk, I don't know, I, I don't want to shift gears too hard here, but we, we talk about leveraging for cards. Okay, let's pretend you're going to leverage. Pretend you're going to borrow against a card. You know, we're talking about it right now where, we're, where things are a little bit more uncertain. And you're, you pay whatever the percentage is. You got Spectre Fitness here. The rates are, that lenders are, ask are predatory about 15%. That is, that's a lot. But the risk is high for them, right? Who are you borrowing? Like what players, I won't use the word. Cause I don't want cage to find me and beat me up. Uh, (laughs) But what cards and what players would you feel comfortable borrowing money against in what grade? I mean, I'll throw it to the chat guys fire away. Um, What cards, what players are the most collectible, the cards you feel like, you know what, if I'm going to borrow money against a card that I have, what cards do you feel will perform? Well, That can outperform a market. What players? What cards? That's the kind of stuff I think about, because I'm like, okay, w- what cards are actually gonna? Yeah, that's th- those are my thoughts.
1: Yeah, it's a good. That's a great question, Dennis. And and uh, you know, my mind goes immediately to to two things. First of all, okay, what players are they? My mind goes to the goats, the goats and the goat cards, right? Or or the or or the Pareto cards, the goats in that, right? Like right? the Jordans, the Gretzky's, the Bradys. Uh, the LeBrons, the Mantles, the, uh, the Jackies, those kind of cards. But you have to, you can't just, you can't just pick the cards. You have to pair it with a time horizon because I wouldn't be comfortable with anything if I'm only borrowing for not ni- for 90 days or th- 30 to 90 days. Cause anything can happen in such a short amount of time. But if you're going to talk about a longer time horizon or term on the loan, which I don't know, I would never do it, but you know, then then i'm thinking more like okay like a 5 year term maybe yeah. then i'd be a lot more comfortable lending and borrowing against but i would never want to pay interest on a card for anything more than a day or i just don't want to pay interest on any cards but i'm also not in a position where that's my one of my only or my only source of capital is to to leverage my cards so it's hard for me to understand the psychology of somebody who is uh, in a more desperate position that that's their only option because I can't I can't imagine putting myself in that position in the first place, never mind having to act upon it. But there are people in those positions and I, I just want, I hope the best for them. But here's some comments that have come in.
0: Uh, hey, Jeremy, from-
1: um, real, real quick, well, before you launch into those comments,
0: I'll let you do that. My battery is about to die on my computer, so I'm going to go grab my power cord. I'm going to sure. professionally exit my camera quick here and I'll be right back.
1: Sure, leave me alone here. I'm I'm messing. I'm messing. We're good. We're good. So we had a couple of answers to uh to here. I'll just uh we'll just do that until he comes back. Wally Joiner. We had any Cobb. I mean Cobb, like any of these, you know, super Hall of Famers, top top end Hall of Famers, and their best cards. Yeah, I mean this is where. Uh, sorry, Kate, but this is where Pareto comes into play. Uh, and now that, to me, is just becoming synonymous with the best cards of the best players. And simple as that, without defining it any further. But that's where I would be going uh, if, if I'm, as a lender, again, I can't put my, I just can't get my head into the mindset of a someone who borrows against cards. I just, my mind doesn't allow me to go there. I can't imagine doing it for myself. So but i can't imagine lending cuz to me you're the house and the house always comes out ahead so that's where i would be lending against so would be the best cards or the best players unless i can lend at such a low value and charge such a predatory rate in which case i don't want to be in that business i don't want to i don't want to prey on 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 desperate people like that so it's tough mma says one of one super factors of hall of fame players are there any Hall of Fame players that have one of one super fractors? I'm playing days cards. I don't think there are yet. Are there? Maybe there's a few I can't think of, but there must only be a few. Wally Joyner. love it. Rage says Mantle, Ruth, Mays, Jordan, Griffey in high, yeah, in high grade. I mean, that's one one of the things that, that uh, we talked about with Brent the other day. You know, that Brent said was, you know, only the highest grade of the of the best cards, the best players. I think there's still good value and potential for value returns on mid-grade great cards because so many people that love the hobby can't afford the best of the best of the best. Only a few handful of people can. So bring uh, Dennis back on. I'm not sure if you caught any of that, but... um, just talking about a few of the, the options. We had any Cobb. We had Super Fractors, Hall of Famers, to which I said, I don't know that any Hall, any Hall of Famers have Super Fractors yet because uh, Super Fractors is too new almost, but there might be a few. Rarity probably outsells Goats. Uh, I don't know if, if it's not. I don't know about that. I think the player is the most important thing on a card. And then you get into things like how it looks and rarity and condition. But the player is so important unless I, yeah you know, i think even johnny John, moore won't last
0: that won't last i just can't see it no it, it won't i i think that yeah that's a perfect example the johnny moore card right that's a that's a that's a set registry type of deal i think you it's the car the player matters i i would lean into the player and in in the the, the important cards for that particular player and the highest grade you can afford i feel the safest with those types like uh, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, um, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. I mean, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. I like to think Ken Griffey Jr. Maybe Tom Brady. You start thinking of the best players, and you can kind of go into a tier below that where you got like the Joe Montanas, and you know maybe the Shaquille O'Neal's, or all these other players. It's all about the collector base. How big is the collector base? How long is it going to be there? I, I start thinking about that stuff. If I'm going to borrow against a card. There has to be a demand for that player and that card.
1: I don't know. That's just me. 100%. 100%. And uh, yeah, uh, right here, tip of the mid says the player is first 100%. Yeah, you're not going to get me off. I don't think it'll be very difficult to get me off of that uh, position right there. Ken says the goat rare stuff boat has sailed. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that yet, but uh, maybe, maybe. I guess what do you, I guess Ken like elaborate on that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I can if yeah, if you don't mind. I, I think he's just saying like the the because right now the the best stuff with goat, it's like who are the goats? It depends which goats. I, I always say we use the goat, the term goat loosely. I use it loosely because goats travel in herds, so there's more than one of them. I feel but <laughs> I like it. Right? But that's nice, but is Tom Brady a goat? Is Patrick Mahomes a goat? Some people no. no, but some people refer to him as that. And so some of the some of these cards have come down so much now right now is the best time to buy cards in the last 3 years from for the majority of cards so um interesting uh spectre fitness once again you're paying a premium to borrow money unless your roi on a card is insanely is insanely it's a bad financial move you're paying interest to retain a card that makes no sense just sell the card for cash yeah unless you're like really unless you're unless you're buying unless you're doing it spectre to buy a collection at like 60% comps selling them for 80 to 100% comps in 90 days and getting your card back I mean there are there are use cases for it but few and far between that's where we it's hard to get out of our own mindset uh, Ken here says a wilt auto would never drop as much as any LeBron stuff I, I agree with that at least for now and while he's still playing Shohei says Eric to to borrow or lend against tip in the mid says I'm with you exactly hundred percent not to borrow against my cards. It hurt to sell one of my two 53 satchels as just in case backup funds for my recent wedding. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair comment right there. Uh, T does more matters. He's a spillover right now. He matters, but once people who are collecting that 86 Fleer set and PSA 10s realize that they're not going to sell that set complete and get their money out of it, more value will come down and, and, just, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I don't want to say trust me on that. Cause like maybe not. And I don't need you to trust me, but I wouldn't do it. I, I don't believe it. Uh, Ken says, check out some lower end players in highly collected rare sets. Those are the ones that will surprise. Oh, yeah. They have been surprising a lot of sellers, but I think that's a temporary thing myself. That's what I think. I think it's a temporary phenomenon. And Jeremy, Big mantle greater right. than super fracture Anybody says Jay Z. And I, i mean super fractors are one of ones those are they're special cards but mantle is the most special baseball player in the hobby so tough to say uh professor says brent gave a nice use case definition of rarity versus scarcity how do you define these two terms uh rarity is just how many cards are out there what's the what's the print run scarcity is how that matches up against demand it's a That's how I look at the difference between rarity and you can have a card, you can have a card that is, is more scarce than rare, or you can have a card that has a print run that is higher and be more scarce than a card that is rare. So what I mean is you can have a a card of a nobody where there's 10 copies. It's rare, but not scarce. You can have a card. There's only, there's a hundred of them and that's more, that's scarce. So I hope that I think that that made sense. T says the holder of a 10 more knows its value. Right now they do, but they're not going to know it forever. Uh Bobby says the hobby can be a leverage of life's contentment. Always oh, adding a little uh a little uh, spiritualism to the discussion. Uh Dennis, were you gonna jump in with something? Yeah, I was gonna say I think
0: uh Cage brought up a point here at the bottom here. I think and he the, he said uh the real question, and I think actually Brent's point, this is but I think this is what I've been trying to allude to all episode long and I think he put it really rather well if the lending borrowing stops and the prices bottom out to pre-run up prices let's just say lending borrowing using credit card using a credit card um and prices bottom out the pre-run up prices does the whole thing go back to a flatline hobby for the next two decades this is what I was trying to say are we going to just go back down and go beep for and, and you know talk about having the the stones to hold the card two decades that's 20 years, folks. I mean, are, fee- are you going to, do you need that $10,000 now or are you, are you willing to hold on to it for 10 years or 20 years before you get it back? That's a really good point. That's what—that's the kind of stuff I've been thinking about lately with some of, the, some of the cards I have. The big, big ones I know I can never get back. I'm probably going to just hang on to those because I feel like I might not be able to get them back. But it brings up the broader question. Are we going to enter into a period of time where everything just kind of flats out? And the impatience, the people become impatient. Maybe people don't enjoy the hobby as much. Maybe they've gotten used to seeing, you know, our cards go up even a little bit. People that want them to to behave like stocks go, wow, they're not actually behaving like stocks.
1: I don't know. It's something I always think about. Well, yeah. um, Okay. So there's a couple of things in Cage's comment here. So if lending, borrowing stops and prices bottom out to pre-run up prices, so I, lending, borrowing, I think drove some of the ultra high end prices. We saw like the half a million and up kind of prices, maybe a few below there too. Okay. Maybe, maybe that drove some of it because you think, that, you think that that's what, that's what all those big numbers were coming from. No. It wasn't just institutional money coming in here. It was like people that had not all of them, not all of them. I think some of them, I think some, I think some of them. So, so my, what I'm trying to say though, is that if that stops, and I don't think that it's a direct correlation. If that stops, prices will, and I'm, Cage isn't saying this, but he's saying if that stops and prices bottom out. So I don't know that th- those two things need to be tied together there with the and. But then he goes on to say, does the whole thing go back to flatline hobby for the next two decades? Well, it won't, it can't go back to what it never was. I mean, I've been watching this hobby values closely since 1980. Five eighty. Well, since I got my first Beckett, which was a hockey issue, probably nineteen eighty-eight or eighty, whatever, whatever that was. And the cards have always—they've gone up slowly over time. They, they they haven't flatlined. You look at You look at a twenty-year chart right now. Yeah, it looks flat along the bottom, only because it's gone like this. It, it hockey-sticked over the last couple of years, and now it's come back down. But it was always going up, nice and slow and steady probably beating inflation at least at the cards that I was buying and still own many of it really just depends what you're in too right I can't speak in generally which i'm I'm about which I'm kind of doing so I, I gotta I gotta back that off of that a little bit but but I, I don't think that it goes back to a flat line for the next two decades I think that there will always be ups and downs in this there always have been we had a run up in 2017. we had it we had we had a run up in 2005 uh there's always going to be ups and downs in this hobby. So I think, I think, uh, but I don't think we're going to see the crazy escalation of values that we saw when we had a worldwide pandemic. I think that that's, I think that that that's the biggest, that had the biggest impact on values, not lending and borrowing. But that said, I don't think cage is saying that that was the cause either. U S sports card says, do you think it's possible that fanatics acquired PWCC to stop to stop the alleged run on liquidation of the, no, no, all they did was, all they did was buy because they got it. I think because they probably got it at a deal and they wanted a marketplace that was a pretty good one. I um, think that's the only reason why they why they did it. There might have been some other like, bonus reasons for them, but I um, think that's why for sure. Cage says, look at charts before 2017. Most cards are flat with small, small gains. Even Ruth Gowdy. We can easily go back to that flat for a decade or two small, small gains. How small though? Like, like a half a percent, 2%, like, I don't know. I, I, I can only really go by my collection. And uh, cause I, I mean, I've been setting up a card show since 2005 and I mean, it wasn't flat, it wasn't flat in the markets that I, that I move in at least. So maybe, maybe I'm just luckier, savvier, more experience than some people. Whatever it is that that allowed me to have more success in the last twenty years, leading up to the pandemic, not even during it, but up to it. Um, so, but if 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 I'm the outlier, and the majority is flatline cards for twenty years, then yeah, I, th- I bet we could go back to that. Why, why wouldn't we? Like these are these are collectibles at the end of the day. Ken says, whatever happened to those guys that bought those high-end cards and sold shares to that item? We talked about that a bit earlier, Ken. That That's already come up tonight. It's, it's called fractional ownership. TDOT says, generational turnover and social media has pushed art aside and cards to the forefront. Yeah, there was a, a lot of commentary. Or commentary. I don't know if it's still around. Haven't seen it lately. That, car, that cards are our generation's art form. Our art. And I... I believe that that's that that certainly is for me i do have some art too but uh but i not not investable art but just just fun art is more of a hobby for me than than uh even sports cards are uh pull up a gretzky rookie chart from 04 to 15 flat i don't know cage i don't know i mean yeah. i remember i could have bought his yeah. psa nine peachy for for five thousand dollars and then uh, that was probably in 2008 or nine. And then in like 2016, 17, that card went up to like 15, 20 grand. So, uh, I mean, listen, unless I totally misremember, but I remember being priced out of the Opichi, So I bought the tops for five grand and now that's worth way more. So talking about the
0: PSA, not PSA 10. What's that? I wonder if he's talking about the PSA 10. I'm going to pull it up.
1: No, no one's ever lost money on a PSA 10. No one's ever lost money on a Honus Wagner. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about there, but maybe uh, he's talking about the 10. Yeah, I I, I just don't think he's right about that comment there. Maybe on maybe on the the low, low, low grades that go up a percent a year, 2%, something like that. But uh, definitely not that's definitely not accurate as as stated in that comment on the screen right now. Uh, MMA says when high inflation goes away, the card market will increase again. Markets are cyclical. Yes, yes, yes. Cage says you are right, but what drew people to cards were market beating gains, those weren't there. Small gain, sure. Yeah, but also don't forget, that's the key difference between cards and stocks. Nostalgia. There's no nostalgia attached to to the stock market. Cards are nostalgic and there's value in nostalgia.
0: And I am looking at here, Jeremy, I use the PSA 90 peachy. Maybe that's what Cage was referring to. And so, you know, it, it is a pretty flat line from about 2009 to about 2013. Then it jumps up um in 2014 and then it it creeps up again and a pretty decent amount in 15 and then it's kind of up and down until it goes
1: that's a that's a six year that's a six year that's a six year now my holding period i've i always say if you if you've watched me before uh my my horizon on my big cards unless i sell some for you know life stuff uh, is like 25 years. That's my horizon. I'm not in this month, week to day to day, week to week, month to month. I'm in this for the long term. And, um, people that have known me long for in this hobby know, know that they've been seeing me in the hobby for that long. So, right, right. um, yeah, I mean, uh, but, but small, small gains are, are still gains. And, and I yeah. mean, they're better than a lot of stocks that have been out there. But again, back to nostalgia for a second. You don't, you, what drew people to cards were market beating gains, but those are short-term people. They're dipping in and dipping out collectors, passionate people about this hobby, which does live within an, ind- an industry are drawn in by nostalgia and nostalgia is even like more valuable than money. It, it, it drives value is what I, what I'm trying to say there. Um, okay. Uh, tip says, is there a link for tag somewhere? Uh, taggrading.com. Tip. Taggrading.com. Bobby Burrell says, only buy what you can afford to lose for your personal collection, or only invest in the things that won't affect your living life. And that's just that's just good advice. That's just good advice right there. MMA says, you guys are way too bent out of shape about leverage. Hardly anyone uses predatory leverage. People lose way more money pissing away their hard-earned money gambling. Yeah, and I, I think you're probably talking to the chat here. MMA versus me and and Dennis are here because we're not uh, we're not bent out of shape about it. We're just talking about it tonight because it's been a hot topic lately uh, right. in the hobby with alt coming, someone kind of coming and offering it at a time when the narrative in the hobby was sort of a uh, anti lending in the hobby. Eddie from who who is one of the, um, uh. Uh, figure he, he was like the the symbol of it for a long time hasn't been seen a lot lately so not sure what's going on with that now but but um, anyway that's why we're talking it's a hot and then PwCC was 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 doing a lot of it and then it seemed to be a big reason why they had to sell their business so that's why we're talking about it MMA mm-hmm. uh, Professor is Gretzky Pareto cards thus are not flat in appreciation. I don't think they are. Rage. Good. T- thanks to happy to make you laugh. Rage says, "Tell the Wolf of Wall Street." There's no nostalgia. Fair enough. Jay Z says, "As soon as your collecting outlook becomes 20 to 25 years out, and you buy right, your collection will grow and grow big." Fair enough. Fair enough. Cage says, "Jeremy, love your stuff. I know you do." Cage. Buy how many people, Buy how many people who came in the last yeah. few years? I have it, oh, ha- but. But how many people who came in the last few years have a 25-year window? I like the nostalgia argument. I just think most people who came in, oh, yeah, 100% caged. Um, No no doubt about that. No doubt about that, for sure. But I, those aren't the, if they're watching right now, that's great. But that's not, those aren't the people that, listen, here's the thing. If those people who came in in the last, uh, what is in the last few years, if you don't have a 25 year window, then adjust your expectations a little bit and yeah. understand that, like, are you, like, listen, if you thought you were going to come in and, and just make money hand over fist, um, you know, you, you were, you were just part of the herd. You, you, you weren't thinking for yourself. You were, and not to say that you were following any specific influencer out there. Cause I think, I think we're, you know, You got to take some accountability for your own decisions when you're when you're deploying your funds into anything and not blame somebody else. Nobody wrote the check for you. But again, this is content. A lot of the content that I put out there is just experienced, educating, experiencing, educating through experience and saying, listen, this isn't going to last forever. And I got caught up in it, too, in 2021, 2022. Oh, this is great. But how many people, Jeremy, do you think came in and they're sticking around?
0: How oh, I do don't you know. know the.
1: I think, think more than we think. You think because, more than you think? Well, card shows are still super busy. Card shops are super busy from what I hear. I don't, I'm not at all of them. But, yeah, there's more shows than ever and people are doing them, are there all the time. There's so many. I had lunch today with the guy who runs the Toronto Expo. Not the owner, but the guy who runs it for him, Mikey. He was in town for another event and we met for lunch. And he, we were talking about this a little bit. He said, he said that the that the card shows that he's involved with include three expos, two in Toronto, one in one in Edmonton, and the Strongsville show. He runs that show as well. He said that these shows were are busy and filled with kids. Maybe the Strongsville a little bit less, but he's like the hobby is very strong, very very strong. Yeah. So how many of those people are still in? I don't know, Dennis. It's tough, tough to. But if I were to give a a, a guess. Even if it's like 25%, I think that's pretty good. Like any yeah. net gain over yeah. 2019 is a net gain for the well, hobby.
0: You got to wonder too, why would fanatics want to enter the space? Why would they want to, to invest so much into the space if they didn't see an opportunity? And they're not idiots. They didn't see an opportunity to capitalize on on, on a hobby. They, there's got to be metrics out there they're using to analyze when they make these purchases or these companies to get into the space to spend the kind of money for the licenses. There has to be some forethought into going hey we see this turning into x y and z I mean a lot of us are sitting there going okay the stuff that we have we love yeah I think you got to hang on to it for a while I mean some of it might just be for our generation you know and I argue well after I'm gone and I'm not really too worried about the value of my cards I mean I'd like my son my daughters to, to enjoy them but you know I'm worried about my timeline and my horizon when I'm here on Earth right So. And I feel Ken Griffey Jr. is probably going to be, you know, valid and important um, in in our society until I'm gone. So, but I, and then people will say the same thing for me, LeBron, or they'll say the same thing for these players. But I think that there has to be more people than we think sticking around in this hobby for, you know, some of these LCSs selling product. I mean, the breakers going through the product. I mean, there, there has to be some sort of a signal to... Companies like Fanatics to want to get involved and invest the kind of capital into this space that they do.
1: Well, at the recent fanatics, I think investor meeting uh when you know leading up to their impending IPO, uh, I saw uh I saw a clip from it, and it was either Michael Rubin or Mike Mahan made the comment that they see potential because they see how many sports fans there are in their other businesses. And they think that they can convert sports fans into collectors. I think so too. I think so too. That to me is the biggest sort of um, uh, potential that the hobby has. And I agree with that potential because I know not every sports fan will be, will has the collector gene, but I think a lot of them do and they just don't know it. So I, I, I see that. I see that. But back uh, back to for a moment to how many people are still here? Well, Eric Stefano, I got in in 2019, and I'm a lifer now. Well, Eric is not alone. We have 110 people watching us right now, and that's a small portion of the overall hobby. So, if one percent of the people watching us right now, that may be that one percent of the whole hobby came like that came. And again, he's only. He's not the whole hobby. He's not, he's only representing the people that came in in 2019. We got probably more people that came in a lot before that watching us right now. So um, Bobby Burrell here says the generational shifts are coming. The hobby is not the usual forecastable investment. Too much is relying on fanatics at this point. So that's where, listen, I think, I think a lot of people are relying on fanatics, like people opening up new card shops and new businesses. I think there's a lot of reliance on fanatics there. I think it's probably a good bet, though, for the most part. Um, but I think Fanatics is, is again, to what I just said. What I heard them say, they see the potential based on their customer base and their other in their other lines of business. And uh, I think that's a, I think that's just a smart insight and a and a worthy insight. Um, Decoy here says, I wish we could pull 2018 season ticket holders to see how many of them use the money they would have spent on season tickets on cards yeah okay I, I i'm not i'm i'm sorry i'm just having trouble seeing how that fits into everything but okay i think that, well that i would think be it's really
0: like since they weren't going to games in 2020 did they just instead use that money to go buy cards because it needed
1: oh build. fair yeah thank That's you thank you sorry really decoy cool. but thank yeah. you yeah. cage is thank you for joining cage as always good to see you um All right, Uh, Johnny Depp. There will be a fresh crop of MMA. There will be a fresh crop of new flippers in a year or two, probably. Probably. I mean, as, as some young, there's a lot of young kids in this hobby right now who, who aren't able to travel as much as they might like, don't have maybe the cash they'd like, and you know they'll grow up and have jobs and all that sort of thing. It's just like a lot of you hear it. You hear a lot of people say, you know, yeah, I collected through college, but then when I got my first job and I had discretionary income, I started collecting. That's what I did. That's when I really started pouring money into cards, back when I had my first professional job in 1997, I guess it would have been. Ken says, a lot of them have have that gambling gene, opening packs and boxes, have plenty of... Yeah, so it's funny, because Dennis and, and Ken and everybody throughout this whole discussion we're having, the breaker customer hasn't entered my mind. I haven't even thought about breaking this whole time. That is a... That is a whole other, I've been thinking about buying and selling singles. Breaking is a whole other uh, channel of the sales channel, distribution channel of this of this industry, of this mm-hmm. hobby. And we could have a whole episode talking about the pros and cons of breaking or how breaking has built the hobby up and, and help it, help it cha- how it has changed the hobby as much as even the, the manufacturers cater to breakers now. So... MMA says fanatics will be, will bring the flippers back. Any opportunity will bring back opportunists. And I think that, uh, that that's right. That's true. Skeppy says fanatics got in thinking the card market was something else. Now they're trapped and have to make it work. No doubt the market has grown, but it will not grow to a... see. I don't believe, I don't agree with this Skeppy. Not like, listen, I, I just see it a bit differently. I, I actually think the fanatics is smarter than that. I think the fanatics would have studied the market. And would have would have seen that this that nothing goes up forever and doesn't come down. You don't you don't get to be fanatics with being stupid. Well, that's, what insight, right? yeah, like, that's what I was gonna
0: say. Right, yeah, I was gonna say the same thing, Jeremy. That's a great point you just made. Um, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that comment either. I feel like fanatics did their homework. I mean, they're not they're not entering into this, they're not spending that kind of money to say, Oh, well, we, we think it might work. I, I think they really have it figured out. I think breaking plays into it, I think sports betting plays into it, I think just you know having you know cards be present more at all the stadiums and the in the arenas and I think it's going to become more part of like that whole experience as a sport as a, as a as a fan you know that's going to become a part of that fan experience is sports cards they're going to become part of what you do you I go to sports games now in Seattle and they're they're handing out packs everywhere around the stadium so i mean top stuff top stuff is everywhere so i mean it it's a thing i think it just it's going to take some time to catch on but well, i think
1: that maturity yeah. will come in time and the other thing is that the hobby narrative right now, a lot of, a lot of the commentary is judging fanatics on what they've done before. They've had a, a real license yet. Like they sure they they have tops but they haven't even touched basketball or football yet. So right. to, think about to that. judge the next 20 years on the last 18 months, I mean, you got to You got to zoom out people. You can't, you can't just think that that's going to, that's going to be indicative of the future. They're getting, listen, the other thing about a company like Fanatics, they're going to have failures. They're going to fail, but you know what they're going to do? They're going to fail fast because they're smart business people. They're going to fail fast. They're going to pivot. They're going to adjust on the fly and make the right decisions moving forward or better decisions moving forward. And then they might see problems and misjudgments and, and, and like moves that didn't make sense. And then they're going to adjust again. They're not going to rest on their laurels. They're going to, they're going to fail fast and make the changes quickly. That's what I think they're going to do. How long is a license? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. You don't know how long they are? No. I don't know. I wonder what that is. People know. But that, No doubt the market has grown, but it will not grow to what fanatics hope, says Skeppy. I mean, listen, uh, you don't know that. Um, we don't know that because we, don't, we haven't seen the power of their marketing yet. And don't forget, everybody in here, loves cards so don't you think that other people have it in them to love them too yeah i definitely feel like i've had a
0: few people ask me and they want to get into it like what do i buy and they're, they're asking now there's a few that asked back when it was you know at its peak I, I would say the boom was at its peak but there's a lot of folks now coming to me going hey you know i, I see you're always posting your kendrick for junior cars you know because we're you know here in seattle we we love we love i mean he's like he's a big deal right so you have a lot of folks coming up, you know, hey, friends, hey, do you, do you collect what what kicker of junior card should I get? And I'm like, well, you know, I, you start here. And so they're, they're starting to think about it. Right. I, just want to, I want to own a couple of really good cards. What should I target? You know, so those kind of conversations are being had but we, a lot of folks my age, you know, kind of nostalgic. But then there's also younger people going, yeah, I want to get into some of these newer players. I want to get into Julio Rodriguez card. Right. We love Julio. He's a kind of new guy. Right. So people are getting or Shohei Otani or whatever it might be. So. You know, some of those bigger players are starting to make an impact and they're starting to think about it. So, I do think there is a future there. I, right? it's just, I don't know. I just think it's going to be a slow thing. I, I you know, and, and maybe it is going to be a flat line of just small gains like Cage was alluded to earlier, earlier. If that's the case, I'll take that too, right?
1: Um, it's more sustainability,
0: right? Something it's to just buy. Awesome. This isn't necessarily
1: more, and more, Those small gains in sports cards are more fun than small gains on your, on some investments or, or exactly. large losses. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. T dot here says market cap exploded and many cards are locked away. Keeps demand healthy, especially for vintage and high end modern. Yeah, I agree with that. U S sports card asks, is there anything fanatics could do that would increase the value of modern hobby products for new collectors and depress interest in the vintage marketplace? My thoughts, Dennis on this and U S sports cards is not really because, because all the cards see that, there's two things here first of all people think that fanatics is is like has all the power they only have all the power over cards from 2023 and forward there's yes. a there's 150 years of cards leading up to that that they have no impact on unless right. unless only through mar, through their PwCC marketplace uh that's really it right so I don't think there's anything they could do because people love history. People have nostalgia. Now, 50 years out, I'll have a different answer for what, where they're at. And and if because now they have the, they, their cards are vintage 50 years out or the new vintage. So Deep Value has left the building. Thank you for joining. Bobby Burrell says the card market had to come down to create new collectors again. Kids don't cut grass or shovel snow for extra cash. Many buy and sell cards now. And I mean, yeah, that that's what many of them do. And, uh, but I think the beginning of this comment is what I like the most is that. Not people were having trouble affording cards Afford you couldn't, you couldn't find cards at Walmart or target. You couldn't go to the hobby store and buy a box of cards for under 300 bucks. So price had to come down for sure. I definitely agree with that comment. Stop printing so much says Ken. That's I, I appreciate the sentiment that Ken makes here guys, however, Printing product is why they're in the why card companies are in, are in business. Keep that in mind. This is I, as we said earlier. This is a profit-driven industry, like all industries are, except for charitable industries, and even some of those might be profit-driven. So, mm. hey, we're gonna start to wind down. Hey, Dennis, let's do it. All right, all right. Tip the of the problem myth problem. is I'd rather lose value in my cards and still have them than not have and not and not have to sell them off. I think a lot. That's a collector comment right there and mma says predatory leverage products will multiply again in the future we'll see we'll see definitely possible all right well listen i think we went pretty uh pretty hard on this whole thing we were talking about leveraging cards lending lending against cards boring against cards we kind of we kind of got into some other topics there but it all kind of came back to that so so thank you to the chat for some great comments throughout keeping us on our toes did some big, some, had to do some heavy thinking here on the fly. And one thing I'll say to everybody is if you've never done a live stream before, and I've done over 400 live streams now that are like averaging two hours each, pretty much <laughs> every, I just want to caution you. You may have heard me say something tonight that I will look back on and say, ah, I didn't think it through. I am not a perfect live streamer. I have said things I'm like, nah, that, uh, I didn't think it through. So, you know, and I don't, if this is a one, these are one take shows. So keep that in mind. Not everything is, uh, I'm not married to every comment I made, but I try to yeah. think things as fast as I can on the fly. Dennis, you've now been doing more live streams than ever before. Does that resonate with you at all the comment I just made?
0: I mean, yeah, you're, you're kind of going off the fly. I mean, you're, I think you're more honest in your reaction because you're reacting to things right on the fly, right? You're, you're reacting to things live. And so you don't have time to prepare for the answers. You just kind of have to come off the top of your head. And sometimes you're, going to be emotional about it and you're going to be very convicted about what you say maybe you have to think about you know oh wait maybe maybe I shouldn't have said that you know I I, you know because I said something about you know cars not being stocks I got Joey he's messaging me going I don't agree with your comment about them not being you know treated like stocks and so I was like I didn't know you thought that way I'm like well yeah I kind of do and I kind of don't I mean everybody wants their purchases to go up in value you want your cards to go up in value you don't want to buy something and have to be worth hardly anything you know no one's going to feel good about that um but you know, I, I, I don't know. So you, you, you have to sometimes go back and rewind and look at it and go, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? Um, yeah. But it, it that's what's fun about these conversations. I think it's great. Is I just love how the chat pretty much guides the whole thing. You know, we just sit here and respond to the chat, and I, to me, I think that's the best part because we're basically all. It's like a bunch of us guys getting together in a big room and just talking about cards for an hour and a half, and that's just so much fun to me. You know, it's everybody gets a chance to be a part of the show, talk and 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 you know. So like, I always make it like I'm, I'm a, I'm a nobody. I don't really know anything. I I'm this new guy who's just learning from everybody. And I don't mind being that guy at all. Um, and it's just awesome to kind of get everybody's point of view and the things that they think is, uh, and how they approach the hobby and the, the points of view they have are always different. Um, it's just awesome. And the hobby community is pretty strong in, in a sense of like, it's very, very communal and very you know supportive and everybody's kind of doing the same thing. And a lot of us folks are kind of in the same spot. But at the end of the day, most of us are here if not all of us—we love cards. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. Exactly. So.
1: So I just—I just want to say I'm—I'm I'm looking for a video. I just—I—I I think it was on, I think it was on Rob Gerard's Sports Card Therapist channel. Re- this past week, I think it was him did an episode with a financial planner whose name I can't recall, but it was his first time doing a podcast, and. This comes back to your conversation with Joey about, you know, cards and stocks and mm-hmm. the the financial planner who, you know, has been in business, I think he said 25 years, uh, seemed like a pretty smart guy, basically said that, you know, cards can certainly be investments, but they are, they're, al- they're an alternative investment. They're not stocks. Yeah. They're just not stocks. Like Joey needs to, Joey needs to, that hammered into his head. They are not, if he, if he truly believes they're like, like stocks. They have some similarities, but they're not stocks, and they shouldn't be treated like stocks. They are an alternative investment. They are definitely an investment. Stocks are also definitely an investment, and those are two. That's one of the things that they have in common. But they are not stocks. I mean, he might be. He might be thinking
0: that way too. I don't know. I mean, I think he has to be because otherwise, I mean, I don't think he thinks you're like like it's not like buying you know Verizon Star or pepsi or, or microsoft or amazon stock you know it's like it's not the same thing um if you're buying the right cards you can get, definitely hold them as an asset yeah they're they can be in a they could be an appreciating asset over time absolutely if you get the right card but i just don't feel like there's tons and tons of those cards out there depending again always depends on the player market in the player's collectible market players collector market you know yeah, and, and sure. perfect. Perfect. so it always, it always
1: Hobby Champ says the hobby is bigger than manufacturers. The hobby is all cards. Manufacturers are just trying to tap into the hobby vein. They're the they're the they're the suppliers. the The manufacturers are the suppliers, but they're only one part of the overall hobby. Eric Stefano, thank you so much. Rick Hawkins, thank you so much for being here. Tip of the Mitt, Philly Joe, appreciate it. Childhood Greats, appreciate it. Tim's Giant Mam, appreciate their blackjack funding. I'm not sure what that's in relation to, but thank you, Tim's for being here. My two of my cards in my collection, guys, just a quick show and tell, but for the, for the 92 people still here, I now got Batman and Robin paired up. 1966 Batman, black bats, beautiful cards. Nice. All right, guys, Dennis, a pleasure as always, my friend chat. Thank you so much. We will see you all next time. Two weeks from today, back on taking stock. We're done. Hayes, Hayes in the barn, boys. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, John Guacta Museum. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Rage. Thank you, Hobby Champs. This episode is now over.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring twenties.